0: We're going to be in Romans chapter 10. We're only, only doing just uh, four verses or so uh, tonight. Uh, and, and really, and if you were getting technical about it, what we're doing tonight really isn't necessarily a study on the book of Romans. But we're sort of using a short passage from Romans chapter 10 that's actually going to serve into a spring, springboard into uh, a subject that I want to spend our time talking about tonight. That's a, it's a difficult subject that often doesn't get really answered, and I want to try to do that tonight. But beginning in chapter uh, 10, verse 10, uh, read along with me. It says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be ashamed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is generous toward all who call upon Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And this passage what brings to my mind, and and there are many things that you could teach, and you probably all of us have here have, have heard this taught, and I think rightfully so, talking about the need For missions and and there's a mandate for evangelism that sort of thing but i want to take a little bit of a different approach to it because i want to i I want to lead into a question to try to answer a question tonight what about people who live their entire life on earth and they never hear the gospel message have you ever wondered about that? Or has anybody ever asked you that question? But but we're talking about people that they never even hear it. They, they're they never exposed to the gospel message of salvation through Jesus. And, and, and this is a big question, and I hear people give answers to this question. And usually they tend to, to give short summary answers without supporting these answers with clear teachings of Scripture. And as a result, what happens often is those ans- answers usually lead to more questions because then they say, you say, well, if that's true, then what about this? And and so my goal tonight is to give a thoughtful, careful, step-by-step answer uh, for these issues. And I'm going to try to answer it because there are a lot of questions that come up when you begin to deal with this. I'm going to try to answer as many of those as I can related to this uh, this topic. but But I believe this. I believe that when it comes to the to the tough issues that we have to deal with in life, I think that there are what I would call threads of wisdom that run throughout the scriptures and throughout the entire 66 books of the Bible. And and when you begin to pull those threads together, then then you get a very thorough answer for what may seem like a tough question. So what I'm gonna to do tonight is I'm going to work through a number of different issues, and, and then uh, by the time we get to the end uh, of this study tonight, hopefully we'll see a sort of a tapestry of truths that will help us understand the, the bigger picture of this. So so instead of a short answer, here, here's the long answer. What about people who never hear the gospel message? Well, before I can even begin to give an answer to that question, I, I feel like we need to establish Some truths and the first question is uh is what is it really that causes people to be condemned in the first place why would why does anyone go to hell why is would anyone be uh apart from god well the answer is this the reason people are condemned to hell is not because they didn't hear about jesus I think that's the the starting point. I, I hear people often say things like the only real sin is rejecting the gospel. I don't know if you've ever heard anybody say something like that, and uh but but the problem is if that's literally true, then that means you know murder's not so bad, or you know, and that's that's just not obviously not true. The the first thought is this wrath rests upon us because of sin, not merely because of unbelief. It rests upon us because of sin, not merely because of unbelief. Unbelief is a sin in and of itself, but it's not the only sin there is. The the wrath of God is on us because of the sins that we've committed. So not only are there sins like lying, which we've all done, right? Raise your hand if you've ever told a lie. Those that didn't raise their hand, we know you're lying right now, so you may as well uh, repent over that. You know, things like theft or blasphemy against God or, or what about this one? Not loving. Not loving, which is, you know, loving to be to love is the greatest commandment. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. Well, I can tell you there have been times in my life I have not done this. Can anybody relate with me? I have been there. Therefore, I have brought wrath on myself by not being loving. Now, you know, I may not feel like it's that big of a deal, but God seems to think that love is a big deal. It's, it's kind of his, his thing. And not only that, Jesus comes along and and he exposes us to how God is going to judge. Now, obviously, a person who never hears the gospel doesn't hear this message, but I'm I'm just trying to establish uh, what the scripture teaches about how God is going to judge. Uh, Jesus shows us that hatred in your heart is as bad as murder. Uh, to hate someone in your heart is murder in your heart. Jesus taught that. We tend to think of we tend to think of things, and we say, "Oh man, you, you just you just thought it, you didn't do it, so it's okay." You know, it's okay to look, but not touch. Uh, but Jesus said, "If you look upon someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart." To which every human being, our natural response is, "Are you t- trying to say that I'm not a good person?" A- and to which the Scripture says, "Yes." That's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. That's I'm not a good person. None of us are actually good in the sense that God is good. Now, you know, I might be good at sports or I might be a good friend. You know, I might be a nice guy. So you might say well, he's a good person in the sense of being a nice guy. But, but the truth is, I am not good like holy. I'm not like that. And, and Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount talks about how uh, he talked about how there are some people who do good things. They do good for the wrong reasons. So you know, you give, but you give so that others might see you giving. You pray so that, uh, but you pray so that others might see you praying. And so there are these religious activities that we do for the sake of the recognition from other people, and, and that, mean, that means nothing to God. So, so Re- Romans three twenty three kind of summarizes mankind's condition like this. It says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, this is something that we have established very well in our study of Romans. This is something that is very clear. Paul brings it up many, many times. But it's something that has to be said before you can answer the question, what about people who never hear the gospel? Well, well, we, well we have to understand that before they never heard the gospel, they sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, that's the whole thing. This is something we need to recognize. Wrath comes upon us because of sin, but it stays upon us because of unbelief. I think is a way to understand that's an important distinction. I've heard people say, I can't believe in a God who would send someone to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus. And my answer is me neither, because that's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches. People don't go to hell simply because they didn't believe. They go to hell because of the wrath that's on them because of their wicked sins. The truth is they're already on their way to hell before Jesus came. They're already there on the way. Unbelief is the thing that keeps it that way. You know, I like the analogy of a firefighter. Imagine a firefighter that responds to a fire in your home that you started. Okay. So the fire is a result of your own actions. You were, you were in a building and you were playing with fire and, and you, and then the fire catches and spreads. You set the building on fire. Then the firefighter comes and crashes, you know, through the window with his ladder, p- throws it up there, breaks the window open and he climbs up the ladder and, and he looks at you and says, "Come on, I'm the only, I'm your only way out. Come to me, I will save you." And you look at him and say, "You know, I am really offended by the idea that that the only way out of this fire is down your ladder." I'm offended by that. There are plenty of ladders in this world, and it's very rude and really arrogant for you to say that you're my only way out of here. And so you burn to death and die, feeling very justified about your position concerning the the ladders of the world. Here's the thing: if the firefighter had caused the problem or caused the fire, I could see you would have a problem with him saying I'm the only one that's going to save you. But but this is the same situation. I caused. The wrath of God through my sins, through my wickedness, through my evil. And therefore, I cannot shake my fist at God if I reject the one way out. Because I'm the one who did it. He made a way for me to be rescued. If I reject that, that's not, my, that's not his fault. That's on me, not on him, right? So uh, uh, Jesus is the cure, not the cause for condemnation. That's an important thing to remember. He's the cure, not the cause for condemnation. Uh, Condemnation does, however, does increase if you hear the gospel and reject it. And the reason I say that, Jesus uh, talks about the cities of Chorazin and and, uh, Bethsaida, uh, which rejected the message. He said it's going to be worse for you now because you have heard and rejected the message. So for the one who, who's never heard the gospel versus the one who's heard it and rejected it, well, the latter is worse off than the person who, who never heard. However, that's not to say that the person who's never heard is going to be in good shape because uh, the, the never hearing is not the cause of their condemnation. They're still condemned. It's just that they don't have. It's going to be a different, uh, a different uh, uh, level of of sorrow. Put it that way in their heart in that in that situation. Here, here's another issue. And some people enter into this conversation by saying, "Well, is is God really fair when He saves some people and then He then He doesn't save others?" Or they say something along those lines. For the for the person who's really stumbling o- over that issue, it, it, if if God is really fair uh, to 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 forgive some and and condemn others and they're stumbling over that thought i think what we have to realize is to be fair would mean that we all go to hell that's what's fair that's based on scripture biblical teaching is uh is it would mean that we all go to hell based based on that that uh, biblical teaching shows us that fair would mean that everyone is condemned uh, that everyone is lost. That's actually fair. That's actually just, right? I mean, think if a thousand murderers walk into a courtroom, and I'm not talking about people just accused, I'm talking about actual murders. If a thousand murderers walk into a courtroom, then if fairness says a thousand murderers should walk out and go to prison or worse, right? That would be fair. That would be justice. Now, if one of them gets a pardon for some particular reason, Then we get mad because they all didn't get pardoned, and we say, well, that's just not fair. Actually, the truth is, you you must have a really, really good reason to pardon even one of those murderers. That's the truth, and it's the same for us. If people lived and died, and, and this may sound extreme, but I think it's very accurate, if people lived and died and there was no gospel, if Jesus had never died on the cross for us, if we lived sinful lives and then we died and then we were judged and condemned by God, God would be just in that. He would be just. If every human was condemned for their sins and no human was saved, if, if all the murderers went to jail, so to speak, God would be just and fair. That would actually be fair because you see, salvation is not a justice thing, it's a grace thing. It's a grace thing. And one mistake people make uh, in today's world, especially in our entitled culture. How many of you know we live in an entitlement culture? Everybody thinks that they're do something. Well, the problem we make is that we apply that to grace and, and people begin to think that grace is deserved. Well, what about grace? Don't I get grace like, like I deserve it? You know, like, like it's something that belongs to me, like it's something that, that I'm owed. But if it's owed to you, then it's not grace. If it's owed to you, it's not grace. Grace is a merciful kindness that God gives to us. Now now fortunately that's that's not the whole story. We have the gospel, we have Jesus paying the price for our sins they're, they're, This is a merciful grace, and some people want to ask, well, what about people who have never heard the gospel message as though and they say that as though they're, they're coming from the angle of, of that that those people deserve to be saved, you know as though it's a right, fair thing uh, that, 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 that at least some of them would be saved. but the truth is when you understand the whole thousand murderers go into a courtroom, a thousand murderers ought to go to jail, then that just doesn't make any sense at all when you say that some of them ought to, ought to be set free. doesn't make any sense at all. But, but, but as I said, that's not the whole story, thank God. That's not the whole story. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to put little pieces in place that will help guide us to then be able to connect the dots to figure out the big picture view of this, this uh, answer to, to this question. So the, the next question is this. What does man really know? We have to know this before we can answer the question, what about people who uh, never hear the gospel? What about the person who never hears the gospel? What did they hear? They may have never heard the gospel, but what did they hear? Of what are they aware? What do they know? And if, you, if you've been with me in this Roman study, you know there, there are two things that Paul has taught of which every man is aware, two things for which every every human holds an accountability based upon scripture, in Romans chapter one, verses nineteen and twenty, it says, "For what may be known about God is clear to them since God has shown it to them. The invisible things about him, his eternal power and deity, have been what's to say, clearly seen." Since the creation of the world and are understood by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. So the first thing that every man is accountable to know, and now I'm not talking about infants here. That's a whole different uh, study altogether. Uh, but uh, but the, the first thing that every man is accountable to know is that there is a God. And you can tell this just by looking around. You can see through creation that there is a creator. Whether whether you're deep into the sciences or you've never been exposed to that stuff, because you know the more you get into science, especially uh, you know when you, the, the the more detailed you get when you get into uh, science that goes into the atomic structure and all these kind of things, you begin to see there's a lot more evidence than people ever dreamed of. But but whether you're into that or not, you can still look around and see the evidence of God all around you. And this means that for the person who has never heard the gospel. It's not as though he's never heard anything at all. There may be things that they don't know, but 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 it's not that they don't know anything at all. Does that make sense? They know there's a God. The second thing they know is morality. They know about God and they know about morals. They know that there's right and wrong. Uh, they they know these things. Romans two fourteen through sixteen talks about Gentiles who, who don't have the revelation of, of Moses or the, the law of Moses and, and those sort of things. And it says this, it says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things contained in the law, things like don't murder, don't steal, uh, those sorts of things. So they don't have the law, but they're still doing the things that the law says, Okay. These, not having the law, are a law unto themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts. What do we call that? Their conscience, also bearing witness, while their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So their thoughts either accuse them or excuse them. Of, of course I know what's right and wrong. I might be a little off on some details, but I know that there is a right and and there's a wrong. And I pretty well know that when I did, did one thing, it was wrong. And when I did something else, it was the right thing to do. But, but check this out, Romans 2.16. This sort of blows my mind. It says, in the, day, in, in the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. So the conscience of people will accuse or excuse them in, in the day or in the judgment day, meaning that, God will judge an unbeliever who did not receive the law, who didn't have the Old Testament, based on the morals of which they were aware. God will say, here's your conscience. Let me show you what you did. Now, let me show you what you knew when you did it. Because every one of us, even before we knew the law of God, we all knew something was wrong, and we still did it. That's Paul saying, listen... Doesn't matter if they haven't had the law. They're still guilty because they knew in their heart what God has given to, to what He's built into us. They knew it was wrong and they still did it. And so, so your own conscience will either accuse or or excuse you. That, so this is fair. This is a just judgment. So there's a, a knowledge of God, and there's a knowledge of morality, and then there's an awareness that I have failed. Even at my own standard of morality, I have failed. Obviously, an unbeliever who has never heard any of this information uh, uh, from the Bible could respond to an internal awareness of God from creation and from conscience. Those are the two witnesses, the creation and the conscience that God has put into us. And that's what we call general revelation. That's the theological term for it, meaning that it's something that has been revealed generally to all mankind. Now we have another term called special revelation and that refers to God giving you knowledge that's not generally given to all all mankind. In fact, the scriptures are considered special revelation that was given to Israel um, and now has been given to us. Uh, A dream from the Lord could be considered a special revelation or, or, or God somehow showing you something could be a special revelation. By the way, the special revelation is always going to be consistent with what he has already revealed. So when you hear somebody say, I had a dream, if somebody says, I had a dream from God and, he, and the dream God revealed to me, I could have 16 wives, <laughs> you know, they're way off base because that does not fall in line with what he said in scripture or what he's already revealed. Uh, so, but anyway, he showed something to you and he, that he didn't show to every other human being on earth. So every man knows that there's a God and every man knows that there's a moral law and we don't follow it that's what every man knows and i think we can start there justice would have us all condemned every man is aware that there is a god every man is aware that there is morality so now we're not we're no longer talking about whether god is fair or not now we're asking a different question when we say what about the people Who never hear the gospel. Our question is not about, is this right? Is this fair? When we ask that question, understanding this, what our real question is is, is, Lord, how do you handle this? That's our question. That's what the question means to us. The question is not, are you fair? I'm not worried about the goodness of God in this question. I'm just tr- trying to understand as a Christian, what about those people that haven't heard, Lord? How are you going to deal with that? How, what, does, what does this all mean? How do you handle this? If, if people who have never heard the gospel respond to this awareness of God, here's where it really boils down to the question that comes to if people who have never heard the gospel respond to this awareness of God and to this awareness of, mor- of morality and morals, are they somehow saved? Is that enough? Is that enough to bring them to Jesus somehow? But, it, but, but, but they haven't even heard the name of Jesus. They don't know anything about the atonement or the cross or anything like that. So I wanna, what I want to do, I want to look at some biblical Old Testament ex- examples of people and i want to be very careful how how i say this because i don't want it to be misunderstood i'm going to try to be as clear as possible we want to look at people who were saved without the new testament knowledge of the gospel people who were saved without full knowledge of the gospel and they may have had some sort of, of, of seed knowledge, is what we'll call it, that, that you, but you wouldn't be able to call it the gospel. It wouldn't have been information, it would have been information somehow related to Christ about His future coming, some tiny little piece of it, but you wouldn't have been able to call it the gospel any more than, than you could call an acorn an oak tree. Right? Because they're related to each other, but they're not the same thing. So so the first example I want to look at is Abraham. Now Paul labors in, in Romans chapter 4 to show us that Abraham was saved, right? So we know he was saved. He was saved by what? Faith. Faith. Okay, okay, yeah. we... We've gone over this a lot here, so some of you got me worried. He was saved by faith. He works really hard at it. Romans four three he talks about about it. Wasn't Abraham saved by faith? And he quotes Genesis fifteen verse six, where it says Abraham believed God, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. And so, so Abraham was righteous by faith. We're, we're and we're, we're talking Genesis here, okay? Abraham was an Old Testament man who believed God and was counted righteous. This was before the giving of the law, so he didn't have any of the law of Moses. This was before the cross, so he didn't have any knowledge of Jesus. You know? However, Abraham was clearly this Old Testament saint saved by faith. But what did he believe? He believed God when God gave him special revelation. So it wasn't just general revelation. It wasn't just creation and conscience. It was more that he, that he believed. He had revelation that God was going to multiply his seed. And that he was going to bless the whole earth through him. Now this relates to Jesus, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham. So it relates to Jesus. Now, nevertheless, Abraham doesn't know all of these details yet. It's still a mystery revealed later in the gospel. So Abraham is one example. Abraham was someone who was saved by faith who did not have full knowledge of Jesus. And I think this is important. Let's look at some other Old Testament examples. And and this will all come together a little bit later. Naaman is another example. Anybody remember Naaman? Uh, You can look at 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read the story of Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian general who who contracted uh, leprosy. And now in the Old Testament, the word leprosy is often used to describe all manner of skin diseases. So it may or may not have been the particular disease we think of today when we talk about leprosy. But, uh, you know, it could have been a whole host of different skin-related uh, diseases. However, it was definitely something that seemed to be incurable. It was, it, it was definitely something that was serious and something that was very bad. Okay? So we know that. So this Syrian general, Naaman, comes to the king of Israel and asks asks for healing. Now, you got to understand the setting here because the the Syrian nation at this moment in history was stronger, more powerful than the Jewish nation. Uh, And so the king of Syria, he's basically like, hey, here's my servant Naaman. He's very special to me. Heal him. (laughs) And so now the, the king of Israel hears that and he's like pulling his hair out. He, the Bible says he's he's tearing his clothes and, clothes and he's like, oh, he's just looking for a reason to come kill us. He's just looking for some excuse to start a war. But in this process, Naaman gets connected with Elisha the prophet. And Elisha go, tells Naaman to go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. And, and we all remember the story. And Naaman is offended by this. He's offended. He's like... You know, I go go out all this way to see this prophet and he, he doesn't even come out and talk to me in person. I'm an important man. I'm an important man. I thought he'd at least come out here and wave his hands over me or something. No, Elisha just sends... Word through his messenger for Naaman to go dip himself in the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River is not the cleanest river in the region during that time. So Naaman is offended. He, he's like, we have better rivers where I, where I live. Why did I just come down all the way down here just to dip in a dirty river? And his servants counsel him. We all know the story. And they say, General Naaman, if, you would have, if he would have asked you to do some great, powerful deed, you would have done it. He just wants you to go dip in the water. Why not go do it? So Naaman humbles himself, and he dips in the water, and he gets healed. And he has a, and in the process, this is what sometimes we don't realize, he has a total life change. The, the power of this moment is not lost on Naaman. He's like, the God of Israel is actually real, and he knows that that means that all the other gods are false. So, so let's read verse 15 of 2 Kings 5. Then he returned to the man of God. This is after the healing. Uh, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the land except in Israel. See right there. It's a life change. He, He has this revelation. Now take a gift from your servant. But he said, this is the prophet now, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take no gift. Naaman then says, He urged him to 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 take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, now look at his request. This is very, very interesting. If not, so he's saying, okay, I'm going to give you this gift, but if you won't take this gift from me, then let two, two mule loads of dirt be given to your servant, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any God except the Lord. He is a convert. He wants dirt. You say, why does he want dirt? He wants dirt because he's going to build an altar back in Syria where he can offer sacrifices to the God of Israel. He wants to create a little piece of Israel, so to speak, because back in those days, they tended to think that the gods of a specific nation were confined to the borders of that nation. So he said, I'm going to take some Israel with me because I want the God of Israel with me. That's what he's doing here. And I think it's very interesting. What we're reading is that Naaman got converted. Then in verse 18, he says, but may the Lord pardon your servant on one account. When my master, that's the king of Syria, when my master enters the house of Ramon to worship and he leans on my hand and I bow down in the house of Ramon, when I do bow down in the house of Ramon, may the Lord pardon your servant on this one account. So it seems that the king of uh, of, of Syria would take his general into the temple of, of Ramon and then the king would bow down and it seems that the king needed some help walking and as the as the general uh, uh, that, that was Naaman's job to go in there and he would bow too and help him he was saying he said I'm going to help him I'm bowing to help him he said that's my duty he said but I am not bowing to worship this false god can I be forgiven for this I'm not worshiping the false god I just have a duty A governmental duty that i have to carry out here and and i think that's interesting because the bible is recognizing that there's there are times when when there sometimes there are sometimes just really complicated issues that we're dealing with you know ethical issues where we're like this is challenging for me i don't know what to do and it's just not clear cut and dried And, and but he says i'm not offering worship to this god but but this king, my king needs help, and it's my position in the government. How do I handle this? Is it all right if I do this? And look what the prophet says to him. He said in verse 19, he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. Now there's more uh, interesting story that, that continues there, but, it's, but that's pretty much it as far as Naaman being a believer in the God of Israel. But, but what is he told? He said he's told to go in peace. So it seems to me that Naaman is responding in faith. He he repented of worshiping these false gods. And you listen, I believe other than uh, than, uh, the outside chance that he went back to Syria and turned his back on God, I believe that we're going to see Naaman in heaven. Because he repented of worshiping false God and began to worship the God of Israel. Now he wasn't even under, under the covenant of Israel. You, you can't even say, well, he got saved under the law. The law was how he got saved. But listen, nobody, nobody ever got saved through the law. The Bible is very clear on that. If he was saved, it was through Jesus. But he, but he didn't know anything about Jesus. No, but he knew God. He met God, which by the way, Jesus is God. He placed his faith in God The God of Israel without knowing all the details yet. He he, he was like, I believe in this acorn, even though it's not yet a tree. I don't know all the details. I don't know what it's going to become, but I believe this. That's what we see Naaman doing. Now turn to Hebrews. Hebrews 10. In Hebrews 10. Going into Hebrews eleven, we have a passage that that deals with a, with a whole group of people who got saved by faith apart from works. Well, let's look at the list. There are several of them here, and I'm and I'm going to argue, and I'll show you why in the text in Hebrews. But I'm going to argue that they're not just being lifted up because they had some type of faith where they believed God for something but specifically this faith that they're talking about in Hebrews 11 they're being lifted up because they were saved it was a saving faith that they had it was they were actually saved it was eternal life saved and that's in the last three or four verses that we're going to read that makes that very clear that these people were saved so let's start looking look at this starting in, in Hebrews ten thirty nine last uh, verse of that chapter he says but we are not of those who draw back to destruction but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul so it's already introduced right there so so the context is that we're we're talking about genuine faith faith that lasts all the way through and get, and you get saved verse 1 Hebrews 11 now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen i want to i'm not going to get into it tonight but I think that's more of a description of what faith looks like more than a definition of of what faith is. It's like like you could say uh, a definition of a dog is different than when you try to describe a dog. But but I won't get into that tonight. Verse 2, for by it, by faith, the men of old obtained a good report. Now we'll talk about those men of old. By faith we understand that the universe was framed by the Word of God so that things that are seen were not made out of things which are visible. Interesting that science has just in recent decades caught up with that, that truth. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. So here's the first one. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain offered. Through this, he was approved as righteous with God testifying concerning his gifts. He still speaks through his faith, though he is dead. So now Abel had general general revelation, Right? Just like every other every other human does, however, he also had some special revelation too. Do you see that? Because he's offering sacrifices, and you don't get that from general revelation. There's some special. He had some kind of knowledge. There was more that Adam and Eve uh, knew that they passed on to their children that that wasn't all written down for us. After all, he he offers a sacrifice here. He has faith, and it testifies that he is righteous by his faith. So Abel was saved in the New Testament sense of saved. However, he only had a little bit of knowledge compared to the knowledge that we have of the gospel that was revealed later. Verse five, by faith Enoch was taken to heaven so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him away. For before he was taken, he had this commendation that he pleased God. He pleased God. Now look at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, this applies, of course, to that person who is often in some foreign land. Is God not a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Is he? Is he? Is he? Yes. Does, doesn't he want to be found? Yes, He does. So if you're responding to creation, if you're responding to your conscience and you are diligently seeking God, do you not think He will reward that? Well, of of course He will. That's part of who He is. So Enoch is another example of somebody who is saved by what you might call seed faith. And I'm not using that phrase in the way a lot of tv evangelists use it you know because when they say seed faith they mean money that you're going to give to them but i'm talking about something entirely different that will become much more clear as we continue on without faith it's impossible to please god so enoch has faith because he pleased god so we know he had faith even though it might not be with the full knowledge of everything but it's certainly accurate faith here's another example verse 7 by faith Noah. "...being divinely warned about things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark to save his family, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith." So Noah was saved by faith. But this faith that he has is not specifically a message of Jesus, is it? No, it's a message about the ark. It's a message about the judgment of God. Now, we look at the ark, and and we see that the ark is a picture of, of Jesus, and we see all these beautiful things in, in this story. So, so, so we see that, that Noah's faith, let's put it this way. His faith was pointed at Christ, but without full knowledge of Christ. It's a, it's a seed faith in that sense. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into a place which he would later receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he, dwe- he dwelt in the promised land, and is in a, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city, which foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So Abraham has this faith. But it doesn't say he believed that, that Jesus Christ would come and die on a cross for, for his sins and that he would rise again. That It's not the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it is connected to it in some way. That's the, that's the commonality I think we're seeing with all these these examples. Look at verse 11. By faith Sarah herself also received the ability to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him, talking about God, faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man who was as good as dead sprang so many, a multitude of the, as the stars of the sky and innumerable as the sand by the seashore. Now it now begins to summarize The description of all these people, and it shows that this is a salvation faith that they had. Verse 13: These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Those who say such things declare plainly that they are looking for a homeland. And certainly, if they had been thinking of the country out of of which they came, they might have had the opportunity to return. But they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. This is talking about eternal life this is about eternal salvation. And the entire list in in Hebrews 10 and 11 had had saving faith. and as we as we put it all together, we see that they were believing in things related to Jesus, but it wasn't the full knowledge of the gospel. Do you see that? I think that would be a safe way to put it. now, if I was going to answer the question directly, is general revelation, creation and conscience, is general revelation, is that enough for me to be saved? I would say we do not have an example of that in Scripture. The examples we have in Scripture all had some measure of special revelation. Though it doesn't, that doesn't mean they necessarily had the Bible doesn't mean they had the full gospel message, but they had some measure of special revelation. Uh, I mean, like Abel, he was making sacrifices. Where did he learn to do that? He had some measure of special revelation. So, so general revelation is not enough for salvation. But I want to say this. It is enough to position us for special revelation. It's enough to get us to the place where we begin to seek God, where we begin to find more about Him. I see creation in my conscience, so I begin to grope for God. I, I reach for God. I desire to find God. And there's a scripture related to this that I want to share to you. It's Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. Paul is preaching to the Gentiles here, and he says this, He has made from one blood every nation of men to live on the entire face of the earth, having appointed fixed times in the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek the Lord so perhaps they might reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. Listen, I believe God is accessible to the world if they seek Him. If they seek Him. The problem is, most of the world doesn't seek Him. God wants them to reach for Him and find Him. That's His desire. The question is, will they reach out for the Lord? Will they be desperate for God? Will, will they call upon the Lord? You know, listen, we, we have, and I know you've heard stories like this, we've, but we, I've heard stories from missionaries and maybe other individuals who say, uh, people who have said, God, if you're real, reveal yourself to me and then god does something to reveal himself to him and they and they get saved you ever heard i mean that that kind of thing is going on all over the muslim world right now you don't hear it because it doesn't make the news but there are there are muslims all over the world there are reports from missionaries that serve in in muslim dominated nations that there are muslims who are who, who are having dreams because they're sincerely really seeking God and they really want to know the truth. They want to know the God of creation and, and, and Jesus appears to them in dream and reveals himself to them and they get converted overnight. So it, it can happen. Now, truth is, there are even some non-believers would say that they said something like that, like that and God did something but they ignored it. You know, or they said... You know, God, if you're real, get me out of this situation and I'll serve you the rest of my life. And then he does a miracle, gets him out of the situation, and then they ignore it. And, and I just say, if that's the case, you really didn't want to know him anyway. You were just looking for a fire escape in the moment. But, but let me summarize three truths about general revelation and salvation so far. First of all, God wants people to be saved. God is long-suffering, not willing that any, anyone should perish. Perish. We know the verse, God so loved the world that he gave us his, his one and only son, his only begotten son. So this is really a universal love. He wants everyone to be saved. This is his desire, but he allows us to have free will and to make choices and then to live with those choices. Second, people can respond to general revelation. General revelation, remember creation and conscience. It is potentially enough to get someone on their knees seeking God and looking for more of Him. Certainly, it caused this in many, many people, that many, many cases, even as what we've read in the Scripture. Third, God responds to those who seek Him. So it says in Jeremiah 29, verse 13, You shall seek me and find me when you shall, shall when you shall search for me with all your heart. So God is an interactive God. He wants us to know Him. All right, so that's all good. But now, now here's the bad news. The bad news in this whole thing, this whole scenario is, it is a rare thing for someone to come to Christ through general revelation. While it can be possible, as I've shared with uh, uh, Muslims being converted to Christ through, through this uh, divine intervention, it is a rare thing. That is not the majority by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, how many people really are like this, where they're out there in some pagan culture, surrounded by false religions, and then they realize, they look around and say, this is a bunch of baloney. You have a wooden idol and you're bowing down to it. They're like, you made that with your own hands, dude. And then the lights go on. And then they're like, they're like I want to know the real God. I want to know the maker of heavens and earth. I want to know this God. Well, how often does that happen? I think the answer from Scripture and probably even from our experience is that it's, it's very rare. It's not the normal way someone comes to know Christ. I think that seems to be pretty clear. You don't see it happening all the time. There are only a few examples of this happening carried all throughout time in history and through Scripture. And now I will say this. That does not speak to God and His inability. It speaks to man and our wickedness our blindness that we have have taken upon ourselves, you know, we flippantly cast off general revelation. We flippantly ignore our conscience and sear it and continue in sins that we once felt bad about, and now we're like, well, who cares? And this speaks to the fact that, again, the wrath of God is revealed against the ungodliness of man. Now, another point, and forgive me if this all seems sort of random, But I'm trying to just pull these different ideas together. But another point is this. If these people are saved, they are saved through Jesus. They're not saved in any other fashion. Jesus alone is the payment for my sins. Abraham was saved. He did not know the full gospel. However, he was saved by putting his faith in the true God. And then Jesus came and paid the price for Abraham's sin. Because he believed in the true God. Abraham approaches God through Jesus. Enoch approaches God through Jesus. Abel approaches God through Jesus. There's only one way to God through Jesus. That's it. There's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. He's the one who has to save you. But we have examples in scripture of people who didn't even know his name, yet they were saved. And that's why I use the term seed faith, because they had faith in the seed of the gospel without knowing the full development of it. They had faith in God for their salvation without knowing the full plan of God for how he was going to secure that salvation. They had faith in God for their salvation without knowing that Jesus would come to this earth and pay the price for their sins. They did not know God's full plan, but they trusted God while not knowing. So in a sense, you could almost say they had faith in Christ, not knowing exactly who Christ was. You know, 1 Peter talks about how the prophets wrote about this coming Messiah but didn't even know really how this was going to look, but yet they had faith in the coming Messiah. They, they believed that the Savior was coming. They, they didn't understand exactly all the details of Jesus' death and resurrection. They had faith in the person of God while not, un- not understanding fully the plan of God, if, if that makes any sense. And, and listen, I totally understand that. I, th- I think you can too, because if, it's, it's like if you were drowning and, uh, and you, you go underwater and, and you're under that water and then someone reaches their hand down into the water to save you and you see that hand and you reach out to grab it, you don't know to whom that hand is attached, right? You don't know who's reaching in there. Nevertheless, you grab the hand and you get saved. The, these people, they grab the hand, not fully understanding all the details on the other end of that. Does that make sense? Did they know the name of Jesus? Did, did they believe in his death and resurrection? No. Abraham didn't know the name of Jesus. He didn't know the death and resurrection during his time. He believed in things like it. He believed that if he he as Hebrews eleven tells us, this, he believed that if he killed his son as a sacrifice on that mountain, that God would raise him up. Well, that's certainly related because he believed in that God had the power of resurrection. It's related to it. That's like a that's like a seed faith where he says. I believe in the God who can resurrect the dead. And later Jesus comes and pays the penalty and he he pays the the penalty for Abraham's sins. And the reason Abraham receives that is because he put his faith in God. He had faith in the seed without knowing the details. However, I will say this, and I think I've alluded to this a little bit. This is a truth that we have to be really, really careful with because yes, there are, Rare scenarios where people find salvation by direct divine revelation. But we, we need to be careful with that, that idea because we, we can't look at the rare exception and then assume that it's a rule. So it'd be like someone, if someone came to me and asked about divorce and I said, well, the Bible says that there are certain situations where divorce is allowed by Scripture. And then that person went out and said, well, you know what? All divorce is okay because Pastor Dave said so. Well, no, no, I, I, I was referring to the exception, the small exception. You can't apply it to everything. And what, what, what seems consistent in these people is the idea of repentance and faith. They did have a sense of repentance and they did have faith and they turned to the true God. Now, now if you want to ask, how, how little can you know and still be saved? I'm not going to answer that question because I don't know how to answer that question. It's a presumptuous question. We don't know. We we just know that every example in the scripture of someone who gets saved without full knowledge of the gospel and of Jesus had more than just general revelation. They also had some kind of special information from a God beyond general revelation that we can say, by the way, and I'm going to get to this more and i just can't help it. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. That's exactly why the preaching of the gospel is so important, because through the preaching of the gospel, we give the special revelation of God to people. They can't get it through general revelation. But general revelation can make them curious about God and hungry for God. And then we preach the gospel and they're like, aha! Now I get it. So that really kind of just ruined my whole next question. Does this remove the need to share the gospel? I really, you know... Sometimes you just you know, just gotta pull back the reins a little bit. I would have gotten to that. Uh, you know, I mean because there are people out there who will say, hey man, you know, maybe they're just gonna get saved anyway. There's they have general revelation, and so I don't need to tell them uh, I would say no, because of the fact that it is exceedingly exceedingly rare to see someone get saved as a result of general revelation. And throughout the Bible, we we have examples, especially in the book of Acts, of of the gospel. Going forth in an area where people had general revelation, which we know that's true because that's everyone, uh, but they rejected it. They worshiped false gods. They ignored their conscience. And then the gospel goes forth and many of them get saved. You see, that's the whole point I was just trying to make a minute ago. I just jumped ahead about, about five minutes too early. But the whole point is, that, is that, that through the preaching of the gospel, the gospel going forth, that's what gives the people the special revelation of God that they need in order to find salvation in Jesus Christ. So, so here's another question. Is it possible to do harm by sharing the gospel? And you say, that's kind of an odd question, but that's a question some people ask today. Let's just say that you encounter this rare individual who really has special revelation from God, maybe it was a vision or a dream, an awareness in their heart, or you know, maybe just a page from the Bible fell out of the sky, you know, and they read it, and, and somehow, though, somehow God reaches them. And you encounter this person, and then you tell them about Jesus, and they go, oh, I don't like that at all, and they reject it. Well, I'm just going to say, I don't believe that, would, that, that that would ever happen. That will never happen. That will never happen because that person would be poised and ready to receive the gospel. They, they've already believed in the, in the seed. They'll believe in the tree. It would be natural for them. And I think we have scripture to support this. Jesus kind of answered this in John 6, 45. He says to the Jews, he says, it is written in the prophets They shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and has learned of the Father comes to me. The principle here is that if you heard and learned from the Father, from from the revelation that he has previously given, he said, then if you you really hear that, if you really learn that, if you really get that, then you're going to come to Jesus when you hear the message. You, You will receive it. Here's the good news. If you haven't listened, if you haven't heard and Jesus shows up, you still might come. That might be the turning point for you. So the, the, the great news is that there's only hope. There's only good news when the gospel goes out. And in John 5, 46 and 47, Jesus said something similar. It says, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. Now, now I'm drawing a principle out of this. I'm not saying that the person with general revelation has the testimony of Moses. That's what I'm saying. But I am saying if you believe general revelation, you reach out to God. God reveals Himself to you. You have faith in the true God. And then that true God sends out a messenger to you with the message of the gospel. If that happens, then you're going to believe the message because of the, that you've already believed in the seed. You will will never, ever do harm by sharing the gospel. Then, of course, we have to answer the question about other religions. Are we saying that a sincere Buddhist, a sincere Hindu, a sincere Muslim, a sincere Hare Krishna, a sincere Mormon, you name it, are we saying that a sincere follower of of a false religion might really be saved? Is that what we're saying? Well, the answer is no. Let me explain why. The reason that person is not saved is because false religion inherently involves a rejection of the true God as revealed in Scripture. False religion is a rejection of God. So if I believe in Hinduism, I'm rejecting the God of creation who's revealed in Scripture. If you see a person that's involved in Hindu culture who... Through general revelation, praise and seeks God, and God reveals Himself to that person, and they and He gets saved, and then you go into His culture and meet that person. You're, you're going to see that he's not worshiping those false Hindu, Hindu gods. He's pulling away from that stuff because of the truth that he has received. And you would see him as the one in the room going, nah, this stuff's not right. You guys don't get it. This is I don't understand everything, but I know this is not right. He's the one resisting that sort of thing. That's what you would see. So I don't think we can say maybe this sincere person is saved. Because some people say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. Well, that's just sincerely foolish, you know, because first of all, you know, it's as if sincere means good, you know. But the truth is, I can sincerely hate you, right? Uh, Sincere doesn't mean good. It just means genuine. The examples we have are people like Naaman, who goes back to Syria and he refuses to worship the gods they have. That that would be what I would look for if I were trying to find this person in some culture, the one who has separated himself from the ungodliness around him, and he's living a life like like he he knows the truth. The saved pagan in that situation would separate himself from the ungodly parts of his culture and from false worship and idolatry and all that stuff. Here's another point we need to make, because some people say, if, if they've never heard, uh, then because of their ignorance, they should be saved. But we need to remember faith is required, not ignorance. Faith is required, not ignorance. It might be an incomplete faith. It might, be, it might not be full knowledge of every detail, but it's faith, not ignorance, that matters when it comes to salvation. So it can't be just like, well, they don't know anything, so maybe they're saved. No, that's not enough. If there's if there's someone who's a Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, and and they're they're in some other religion and they're sincerely seeking God, the truth is, I think that greatly. If they're sincerely seeking God, I think that greatly increases the likelihood of them getting saved, of God leading them out of Hinduism, out of Buddhism, out of those different religions. And I, th- I th- that really encourages me. But let me give you one last verse, and then we'll then we'll close up for tonight. But the last verse is Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed uh, redeemed us to God by your blood. Listen to this, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Now, here's the thing. There are tribes that have come and gone through history without ever having the gospel come to them. However, here in Revelation, it seems, if you take it the way I would understand this passage, if you take it like it says it, that someone from that tribe got saved. And it would have to be through divine special revelation. Now, now they didn't. if they did, they didn't worship the false gods of their culture's religion. They didn't stay with the paganism of their culture, but someone from that tribe got saved. It says every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation... But but here's the thing that, that tells me that tells me that God is at work saving people. Now, now that group would be in the in the uh, the vast minority. Right? I don't think this, would, this is a case to say that the majority of people uh, get saved. The implication of Scripture, as I understand it, is that this would be a very small minority of people. But however, they make the decision to seek God, respond to revelation, God reveals more, and they're saved in the same fashion as Naaman or Job or Abraham or Abel or, or even Rahab. So here's one last thought. I want to share this at the end because I think it's the implication of Scripture and I think it matters to say it even even though... Honestly, it's unsettling. Jesus said, woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because if the miracles that had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Now, now I take that at face value. And I take that to mean that Jesus is saying, if I had showed up in Sodom and Gomorrah and carried out my ministry in Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, the miracles, the death, the resurrection... He's, if I had done all of that there, they would have actually repented. So here's the last question I ask. Is it possible that there are people who, if they had heard the gospel, if someone had approached them like a missionary or, or something, uh, someone who, who, who told them about Jesus, that they would have been saved, but no one approached them, so they stayed in their sin, and therefore they were rightly condemned? rightly condemned because they are guilty but they might have been saved had they heard it i think the implication of scripture is yes yes and that stirs my heart to evangelism more than anything i know there are people out there they would say you know what i don't if you don't witness to your neighbor somebody else will because if they're going to get saved they're going to get saved it's this is whole idea of predestination that sort of thing and that sort of you hear that it sort of makes you feel like oh good Whew, i don't have to worry about that i don't believe that's true at all i think that jesus what jesus said he actually meant now you might say well then why didn't jesus come to sodom and gomorrah if they would have believed well then he'd be in Sodom and Gomorrah and saying, I'm glad you repented, but unfortunately for the uh, Greco-Roman world that's, com- that's coming, they're really going to suffer because I came to you instead of them because he came at the right time. And there's no other time in history uh, than other than during the time of the Roman Empire when, when the gospel could have gone so freely to so much of the world because the Roman Empire made it possible to travel empire-wide. So, so there's this balancing of God choosing when to do things and how to do these things. There are costs and consequences based on all of that stuff. So I'm not at all impugning God's choices in doing these things. However, if Jesus' statement is meant to be quite literally true, then He's saying we should be evangelizing because there are people that may receive the gospel if we share it. And if we don't share it, there are people who will stay in sin that might have responded if we told them. All of a sudden it's like, Man, this is real life. All of a sudden it's like, boy, we are just not playing church. We're living real life. And our actions really make a difference. Sharing the gospel of Jesus with people really, literally changes their eternity. It's not a play where we're just acting out our part. This is real life amen we'll, well we'll close there let's let's pray together heavenly father this topic that we've approached this evening it's heavy Lord and now it's heavy on our hearts and we know that the Lord that the world rightly deserves wrath we we rightly deserve wrath we know that you love us and that you want to you want us to know you we just pray Lord for the for the believers amongst us here in the those that are watching us on the live stream we pray for us that that we would have a passion and a zeal a sense of urgency to share the truth of Christ with this world realizing that that they're they're justly condemned but this gospel message can bring them freedom if they hear it for faith comes by hearing god we're so grateful that the gospel is 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 there for us and and I just pray lord that we would be zealous to go out and share it we lord we pray for all the ministries around the world that are that are involved in evangelism we pray for all the missionaries around the world that are proclaiming the gospel we pray for churches that are that are kind of dead when it comes to evangelism we we pray you would just stir up your body to evangelize and and to witness to their friends to their to their family to to coworkers to even to strangers lord to witness in love, and and, and not, not just to try to prove a point, but to invite people to come to know Jesus. We know you love them, Lord. Just ask that you'd help us to love them with your love. We ask all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.